believers. And so what do believers do? Believe. Give somebody a high five before you're seated, all right? God bless you this morning. We're going to be looking at the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, and talking about the church at Ephesus, the loveless church. I titled this message, What's Love Got to Do With It? Some of you remember that song, right, by Tina Turner. Actually, if you read the words to that song, it's certainly not a very biblical song. Love has everything to do with it. That's why God rebuked his church at Ephesus. He had somewhat against them because they had left their first love. Loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is the first commandment right? And it's most important. It's about a love relationship with Jesus. Knowing God, serving the Lord, being a church is more than simply laboring and serving and attending. It's more than just giving and studying. It's more than those things. It's all about loving Him, loving Him. So it has everything to do with it. So Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, it reads as follows, to the angel of the church at Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. You have persevered, have patience, have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Man, what a great church! It's a great church. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Not lost, left. The idea of forsaken or abandoned, their first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. So they have fallen. Whenever that word is used, it has the idea of sin. So it's a sin to leave your first love, right? Remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You will cease to be a church. But this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear. He who has an ear. Do you have an ear today? I got two two ears. It's not talking about these ears. It's talking about spiritual ears. He who has a spiritual ear, hear, he who can hear God's voice, he who can uh, discern what the Spirit of God is speaking, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of of the paradise of God. So there's one thing about your personal, individual relationship with the Lord. That's awesome. But there's also a message that the Spirit of God speaks to His church, to the assembly, to the gathered ones. We're here. This is Cornerstone Church. I often wonder if John was going to write a letter to us inspired by the Holy Spirit, giving to us God's thoughts about what he thinks about us as a church, as a whole, not just personal individuals, but us as a whole. I wonder how he would describe Cornerstone Church. Well, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There are seven letters to seven churches. 
And I believe there are real churches, literal churches, in the area of modern-day Turkey that these churches were found that had these type of characteristics to them. But also, these churches are characteristic of churches that are alive in God's kingdom right now. So there are churches just like this church at Ephesus, just like the church of Pergamos, just like the church of Laodicea, just like the church there in Thyatira or Philadelphia that have those characteristics or a mixture of them. Jesus has questions for us today, a word of the Lord for us today. Have we left our first love? It's a great searching question, isn't it? Cornerstone has been in existence for approximately 40 years, seen a lot, a lot of passion, a lot of desire, a lot of working, a lot of laboring, a lot of evangelism, a lot of discipleship. But in the midst of the years, have we left our first love? Do we hate what God hates? Because he says, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So this church at Ephesus, they were hating the works or the deeds of this sect of people called the Nicolaitans. We'll get into that. But they hated what God hated. Do we as a church hate what God hates? And can we as a church hear the Holy Spirit speak to us as a church? Or are our ears stopped up with the sound of this world or through disobedience? The church at Ephesus was a church with a great history. The Apostle Paul founded this church in Acts 18 and 19. It had various pastors and teachers, the Apostle Paul, Aquila and Priscilla. It had Timothy as a pastor. Matter of fact, if you read First and Second Timothy, Timothy was pastoring this very church, the church at Ephesus. It was a church of approximately, they say, 100,000 people. That's a lot. Even the apostle John that penned these words, they say he pastored for a time this church at Ephesus. So a great beginning, the Apostle Paul, they had a great revival. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 19, through this church at Ephesus and the great revival, all of Asia heard the word of God, and the word of God grew, and the Bible says, mightily prevailed. Mightily, oh man, the word of God is mightily prevailing. What does that mean? I think the word of the Lord was sounding forth from the teaching and the preaching and from the individual lives of the people as they were just sharing the word of the Lord and it was prevailing. I mean, it was just going forth and going, entering into hearts and bringing about real salvation, delivering people from idolatry and wickedness. The revelation of Jesus Christ. What's love got to do with it? I want to talk about loving Jesus. I want to talk about leaving your first love. I want to talk about how do you rekindle your love for Jesus. The message here tells us all about that. He first reveals himself to this church. In verse 1, to the angel of the church at Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Now, if you read Revelation chapter 1, those stars were the angels or the messengers. That word for messenger or angel is angelos. And a lot of, lot of uh, scholars believe that it's not an angelic being, but rather they were the messenger sent by God to the church or the pastors. 
and he's holding the seven stars of the seven ministers or pastors or spiritual leadership in his hand, which speaks about protection and also authority and control. And Jesus, he is as bright as the noonday sun. He reveals himself there in Revelation chapter 1. And I want you to know, uh, during 12 noon or 1 p.m., the sky is clear and the sun is at its peak and shining brightly. Can you see the stars? No, they're there, but you can't see them. And so it is, and so that's what I want. I want Jesus to shine so brightly that you don't recognize or notice me or anybody else here, but our eyes are focused in on the one who saved us. He is worthy. Am I right about that? And the Bible says here he reveals himself as the one who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. And a New Testament church, listen to this. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is taken really out of Leviticus chapter 26 when God says this, I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. The lampstands are the churches. Jesus is the one who walks among us in the midst of us. He's in all authority. He is the one to be glorified. And when he's walking among us, it means that he's loving us. It means he's ministering to us. It means that he is speaking to us. It means that he's having relationship with us. It means that he's the preeminent one, the principal one, the center of all things. And may Jesus Christ be the center of all things here at Cornerstone Church. Amen? I know when I was worshiping the Lord, I sensed the Lord among us. You know, he inhabits the praises of his people. I sensed the presence of the Lord, didn't you? It's awesome. So he reveals himself as the one in control, the one in authority, the one that walks among us, the one that can remove the lampstand from us because he's in charge. He's the preeminent one. And he has a message to this church. And, in, and it tells us what his message was. In other words, he says, I know your works, right, in verse 2. I know your works, your labor, your patience. He says, I know you've labored. I know you've tested those. And so he's talking about some good qualities of this church. They worked for the Lord. They had spiritual discernment because they tested apostles or those that said they were apostles and found them to be liars. They had to have spiritual discernment to do that. They persevered and, and endured and had not grown weary. Now, this was written in AD 96. This church had been in existence for approximately the same time as Cornerstone Church. And in the midst of all those years, in the midst of great revival, in the midst of great persecution, and in the midst of the ups and downs of life and the passage of time, they had not grown weary in working for the Lord, laboring for the Lord, developing spiritual discernment, standing fast for the Lord. So this was quite the, what I would call the commendation, not the condemnation, but the commendation, right? And they hated what God hated. Like it says there in verse 6, but this you have, that you hate the deeds 
of the Nicolaitans, so they weren't hating the people, but the deeds of the people, right? Of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, I, I did a lot of study on the Nicolaitans. Some say that it was a sect formed out of Acts chapter 6. One of the first deacons was a man named Nicholas. And, of course, he turned away from the Lord, and, and a sect grew up around him that was not right before God. There's a lot of thoughts and, or, or theories or opinions about the Nicolaitans, what they represented. But I came up with this one. It was Clement of Alexandria who once said about the Nicolaitans, They abandoned themselves to pleasure like goats, leading a life of self-indulgence. It has been associated with loose living, immorality, perversion, maybe even in the name of grace, maybe a kind of libertine license, but they rightly hated it. So the Nicolaitans were a group that maybe took the grace of God and twisted it as approval to sin, as an encouragement to sin. As God loves me, I can live any way I want. They had uh, immoral behavior, compromise, idolatry. It's no wonder that this church hated that. That's not for us. When we get saved, we turn from a lifestyle of immorality, of compromise, of spiritual wickedness. Uh, we turn from a lifestyle of loose living. You know, he's called us to a life of holiness and uh, separateness unto the Lord. Am I right about that? Be ye holy, for I am holy, right? The Bible says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And so when God saves us, we turn from our sins, we turn to God. He works in us, and he delivers us from ungodliness and worldly passions and causes us to a life of obedience and transformation. And then we begin to delight in his will. We delight to do his commandments. We love or have holy affections for the things of God. Somebody say amen. amen. So this church hated the very thing that God hated. What a great church. Working for the Lord, spiritual discernment, patience, perseverance, endurance, hating what God hates. What a great, great church. But if that's all that it was, then it was missing something, and that's what the Lord says. I have something against you. You've fallen. You've left your first love. That word, the idea of left there, has the idea of walking away, abandoning, or forsaking. Christianity is first and foremost a love relationship. It's more than doctrine, more than service, more than Bible studies. It's loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Reminds me of the children of Israel. Jeremiah is talking to them. They're about ready to go into captivity because of their rebellion. And uh, he pens these words in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2. Go and shout this message to Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember how eager you were to please me as a young bride long ago, how you loved me and followed me even through the barren wilderness. You see, God is speaking to them and says, man, you've left your first love. I mean, there is a time when you were eager to please me how you loved me and followed me, even through a wilderness, even through challenging times. You loved me. You followed me. You were eager to please me. What happened? What happened? Jeremiah penning these words, 
under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the children of Israel, John penning these words as a message from Jesus Christ to this church, I have somewhat against you. You have left your first love. A lot of people say, you know, don't lose your first love. Don't lose your first love. But you don't lose it. You leave it. It's a choice. Other translations, instead of saying the word left, say you've walked away from your first love, or you abandoned your first love, or you have forsaken your first love. Now, how do you leave your first love? I'm going to give you three possibilities. There's more than that, obviously, but I'm going to give you three. Number one is you neglect your relationship with Jesus. You simply neglect it. There's this passage of Scripture. Matter of fact, I, I read it uh, at our early morning prayer meeting. And if you're looking for a weekly prayer meeting, at 8.10, we pray to 8.35. It's just a wonderful time. There's about 50 of us that gather here, and we just call on the name of the Lord. But I read this passage out of Leviticus chapter 6, verse 12. Meanwhile, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. And so the priest's duty was to keep the fire burning. They couldn't neglect the fire. The fire was initially started with lightning or fire sent down from heaven. It consumed the first sacrifice there when they built that tabernacle. And so those priests always had to keep that fire burning. It was to never go out because if it went out, they'd have to start their own fire, which was forbidden. So this was a great responsibility to keep that fire burning. And that fire speaks of, the fire is the Holy Spirit. Burning within us speaks about a holy passion or a holy love. You must keep the fire burning. It must never go out each morning. So they had to tend to it every single morning. The priests will add fresh wood to the fire and arrange the burnt offering. It must never go out. And sometimes, you know what? We abandon or forsake our first love simply through neglect. We get caught up in the cares of this life or the busyness of this world, or we get turned aside to, to give our attention to this or that, and the next thing you know, the fire just simply dies out. So that's the first. The second way we can leave our first love is you grow discouraged and distant during times of great trials. In the Song of Solomon, it says this, Love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire. So the, so the Song of Solomon, the writers there, is, is equating love with fire. Love is passionate. It's consuming. It's like fire. Its flames are, flames, it's flames, are flames of fire, a most vehement flame, then it says this, listen to this, many waters cannot quench love. Waters, many waters, that speaks about trials, tribulations, the storms of life. That, man, if you have a vehement flame, a passion, a loving passion for God, even though you might go through great trial, it won't drown it out. It won't quench it. It won't just uh, destroy it because it's a supernatural love for Jesus. However, if you allow your faith to grow weak and allow fear to begin to overtake you, 
and you begin to look at the winds and the wave, especially if it's a prolonged trial, next thing you know, you have left that first love, as it were. The flame just gets doused, and next thing you know, you're angry with God or distant from the Lord through that prolonged trial. Number three, how do you leave your first love? You quench the Holy Spirit with your disobedience. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 says, Do not quench the Spirit. It tells us in the Passion Translation, Never restrain or put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. Don't put out the fire. Don't quench it. And I want you to know every time you sin, it's as if you are quenching the Spirit. And if you sin and then continue to sin and sin and sin some more without repenting of that sin, without turning to God, without coming to God and say, oh, God, forgive me, without seeking His grace to overcome that sin, but you just give in to it and begin to develop, as it were, or a pattern or a lifestyle of just defeat in that area, I want you to know you will put out the fire that's on the inside of you. They had left their first love. How can you do that? You neglect your relationship with Jesus. You grow discouraged and distant in trials. You quench the Holy Spirit with your disobedience. And the Bible says... Have an ear to hear what the Spirit of God is speaking to you about. Can you hear the Spirit of God speaking to you today? You need to deal with this. You need to deal with this. I have something against you today. May we hear this as a church. What is God speaking to us as a church? How do you rekindle that first love? Well, he tells us there in verse 5, he gives us Three commands. He says, remember, therefore, for where you are fallen. That's command number one. Command number two is repent. And command number three is do the first works. Or else, he says, oh, I don't like that. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Boy, that's strong words, isn't it? Three steps. Remember from where you have fallen. You know, there are certain things we're not supposed to remember. We're not supposed to remember our past failures. They've been forgiven. What sin are you talking about? I remember your sins and iniquities no more. We're not supposed to always be bringing those things up to the Lord. They're forgiven. Let's move forward. But you already remember the great things that God has done. Not that you can remain in the past and live in the past. I wish you were still back there. But you remember what God has done, the great things he has done, as an encouragement to believe God today and to do a brand new work. What he did in the past, he can do it again. And I remember when the Lord delivered me or provided for me or healed me. or I remember when he delivered me. I remember when he answered that prayer. I remember that so that I might encourage myself today that he might do the same thing today, right? So you already remember that. And now Jesus says, remember from where you have fallen. He wants them to stir up their memory to a time when they had that first love, that initial love, that passionate love. 
That like, like uh, when we were eager to please him, where we are willing to follow him even through times of difficulty, where, man, it was all about Jesus. Remember, remember. What he is saying to them is this. This is the quote. Hey, go back. Remember. Remember your paganism. Remember how lost you were. Remember how desperate and destitute you were. Remember what it was like to worship idols. Remember the immorality that you were involved in. Remember what happened when the gospel exploded and the power of God was seen everywhere in the midst of miracles. The preaching of the gospel came to your heart when you were given faith to believe and repentance and your heart was turned around and literally replaced and you were transformed. Remember the joy, the exhilaration, the satisfaction, the overwhelming peace. Remember those things. Remember those things so that you might desire that, so that you might say, oh, God, I've, I've left that. I, I don't have that anymore. Remember the early days. It'd be as if uh, a husband and wife had been married 40 years, and, uh, you know, they have all kinds of issues, and they just live together almost in a business arrangement. They've lost all passion, and they go to marriage counseling, and the counselor says, uh, well, tell me, uh, how did you first meet? And they began to talk about how they first met, and uh, where did you go out on your first date? And they began to recall that. They start to smile. Well, I remember, you know, you took me out to McDonald's. We hardly had any money. You were still in high school. I was in high school. But I remember what I got to eat at McDonald's. I had a Big Mac, French fries, but a Diet Coke because I didn't want you to think that I was going to gain weight. And they said, well, uh, tell me when you first started to fall in love with each other. Well, I remember when I first started falling in love. We had been dating each other about three months, and uh, I remember I just couldn't wait to talk to him on the phone. Well, tell me about how you proposed. Oh, it was just so great. And I remember he got down on one knee or with my wife, I whispered it in her ear. And uh, tell me about the wedding day. Tell me about those early. Uh, and it, it stirs up the memory. They began to remember, oh, we did at one time truly love each other. There's nothing wrong with maturing love. It's different than that first initial Love, nothing wrong with maturing love, but it should always be, I love you with all my heart. First love is loving Jesus with all your heart. It's never forgetting that as much as you do this for the Lord and work for the Lord, it's loving Him. It's pouring out your heart to Him. It's being thankful to him. It's being passionate about him. It's wanting to share him with others. It's wanting to be with him. Not just work for him, but to be with him in prayer or to be with him in scripture reading or to be with him in the assembly, to share your faith with others because you're just so excited about Jesus. Remember, remember, now, maybe you got saved at an early age, and you don't remember this great lifestyle of sin, but what you do remember as a teenager is how he saved you from a lot of sins because you got saved at such an early age. Remember. Stir up your memory. And if you would do that today, what do you think? 
Have you left your first love? Have you left your first love? Then he tells them, repent. This is a necessary part of the gospel. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 1 that Jesus went about preaching the kingdom, and, the, and his message was, repent and believe the gospel. You can't have faith without repentance, and you can't have real repentance without genuine saving faith. They, they're kind of like two sides of the same coin. The Apostle Paul says, God commands all men everywhere to repent. All men everywhere. Man there is not men in the sense of the male species, but men as, as in mankind, male and female. He commands all men everywhere, so everybody everywhere to repent. I mean, that's pretty all-inclusive, right? So you repent when you first believe the gospel to come into the kingdom. But I, I've shared this. Uh, the Christian experience is a lifestyle of repentance, of turning from sin, of turning to God, of acknowledging your sin, of confessing your sin. Repentance. I, I see this with Elijah on Mount Carmel. When he gathered all the people, and the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 30, he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. If that's not a, an act of repentance, the altar of the Lord was broken down. That place of devotion, consecration, repentance, worship, it was all broken down. They'd forgotten that. He repaired it. The idea of repentance, I'm putting it back. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that again. And the Bible tells us this. The altar of the Lord was broken down and tells us down in verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It licked up the water that was in the trench. I like that. It consumed and took care of anything that might mitigate against it. It licked up the water that was in their church. I mean, if you got, if you got a genuine passion, the, the fire of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, there might, there might be things all around you that would be like water, that would just want to put out that fire. But that fire is so powerful and so strong because it's divine or supernatural because it comes from God. I mean, it just, it just doesn't allow anything to quench that fire. To put out that first love. Remember, a number of years ago, I preached a three-part message. Build the altar, guard the altar, repair the altar. Build the altar. Build that place of devotion, consecration, repentance, and worship to God. Guard that altar. Stay away, Satan. I'm not going to let anything come and begin to steal away the, the offering that is on this altar. And what, what is that offering? The offering's you. And then, if necessary, you've got to repair the altar. You've allowed the time or the enemy to come in. You've neglected or abandoned it. You've turned to other things, and you just got to repair it. But if you do, that fire falls again. Hallelujah. He says, do the first works. This means that you go back to the first things you did when you first fell in love with Jesus. And I was reading on this, and uh, one of the authors said this, Satan will create in you a dissatisfaction with the first works. 
Because the first works, you know, like you've talked about a husband and wife that had, they've, lo- they've left their first love and, and, you know, they're no longer passionate. It's all, the, you know, they're just two people living in the same house and they're just casual friends uh, uh, or they're always fighting with each other and they just don't seem to have that passion and love anymore. Uh, the counselor might say, well, remember when you first fell in love? Well, what did you do? Well, I talked to her all the time and I couldn't wait to see her and I bought her presents and we spent a lot of time together and we went to the household of God together and well, do that again and see what happens. And that's really what the Lord is saying to this church, or might be saying to us today, when you had a passionate, all in for Jesus, loving him with all your heart, well, what was your spiritual life like? Well, I couldn't wait to read my Bible and to spend time in prayer and to get to the house of God, and I was sharing my faith, and I was diligent to make no provision from the flesh, and I quickly came to God and repented of my sins. I wanted to live a life of holiness. Well, do that again. Do those things again. Oh, read, read my Bible and pray. Been there, done that. That's why Satan loves to create in you a dissatisfaction with first things. But there's nothing new under the sun. Those things are like wood placed on the altar that the Spirit of God uses to ignite a holy passion within you. you got to do those things again. Somebody say amen. amen. I'm not mad at you. I'm just passionate. Didn't she say that one time to the servant? Yeah, my wife is going at it, and uh, she's got that great challenging word. And then she says, I'm not mad at you. I'm just passionate. That's why I feel. I'm preaching this to myself as well. You know, preachers got to preach to themselves as well as to the congregation because we're all in this thing together. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's arrived. Am I right about that? I need to make sure. I've been saved since 1976, so that is a, that's, that's a lot of time, right? Uh, Was that, 48 years? of walking with Jesus, and I remember the great salvation and being filled with the Spirit and presence of God burning in me and how I honored the Lord and, and was just so excited about Jesus. Well, it's been 48 years and a lot of trials and failures along the way and distractions and things. And so, you know, I got before the Lord and said, oh, God, I want that first love. I don't think I've forsaken or abandoned it. Oh, Lord, I still love to meet with you. I still love to worship you. I'm still excited to tell people about you. Oh, God, I want a church just like that. I want a church filled with people, not a remnant of people that uh, we have a few here that I want a whole church filled with people that love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So it says, he that has an ear, let him hear. I'm talking about these ears. Of course, you've heard the word with your physical ears, but have you heard the word with your spirit? Your spirit. You know, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes into your spirit that was dead and makes it alive unto God. So now on the inside, you have a relationship. Your inside is alive with God by the Holy Spirit. 
So the Spirit of God is speaking to you. He's speaking to you. Speaking to you. Can you hear it in your spirit today? What would God say to you? What do you need to do today? Bow your heads in the presence of the Lord. Build the altar, guard the altar, repair the altar. Man, you would say, Pastor Tim, I need to repair the altar so the fire might fall afresh. I'm the sacrifice. I I heard God speaking to me. I'm not going to harden my heart. I'm going to hear his voice. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart like the Israelites did. Be alive unto God. Hear him speaking to you. Do you need to repair the altar? Have you left your first love? With your heads bowed, if you would say, Pastor Tim, the Spirit of God is speaking that to me. Just acknowledge that by raising your hand. Yes, yes. Just raise it up high. Yes, 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 yes. It takes courage to respond to God. It does, to acknowledge it. But what do you need to do? You that have raised your hand, you need to repent and get back to do the first works. And maybe you're here.